92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Woodstock 69 took place on the lush fields of a dairy farm in Bethel, New York, with nearby rivers, creeks, and massive leafy trees, which the hippies used to cool down, bathe, and hide from the sun. Woodstock 99 was held on Griffiths Air Force Base. Constructed in the 1940s, there were some areas of turf, but for the most part, Woodstock 99 happened on 1,100 acres of airplane runways. The grounds were so expansive, visitors had to travel a mile and a half between two main stages. Looking back now, Woodstock 99 was a horrible idea. You're listening to the Cobras and Fire Podcast, a proud partner of the Pantheon Podcast family. Got some bonus Woodstock 99 coverage today with special guest from the Shout Out Loudcast, Tom Gelati. Beantowner, I think, at this point, right? Uh, uh, <laughs> Tom Gelati from the Shout It Out Loud cast, people. How are you, Tom? What's going on, buddy? How you doing? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm glad you could do this. Uh, cause, yeah, I, oh, yeah. The, the more I dug into that, I ended up watching the documentary twice. I know you you said you saw it right when it came out. And, I did. And the second time, actually, get, was when I started, okay, started breaking things down, like, that doesn't make sense. You know, I started kind of being looking at it a little more critically. Uh, let's talk a little bit on the documentary because I know you've seen it. What was your initial thoughts? Did you enjoy it? Uh, look, Woodstock 99 was a long time ago, okay? Um, I was 26 years old. So I have memories of the event, and some memories are creatively edited in my own mind. Okay. Uh, so watch watching that documentary, um, I'll be completely honest with you, there was a lot of stuff that I was aware of, but that didn't that I didn't see with my own eyes that I saw during that documentary. Okay. Um, and we started talking. We, we talked a little bit before we started recording tonight that 
any kind of documentary, especially something that's going to be on a big media outlet like HBO Max, the editing, it's going to be, you know, creatively put together the way they portray certain parties involved and whether Mm -hmm. they're guilty or innocent or contributors to what happened. So, I mean, it was it was very familiar to me, but I'll be honest with you, there was a lot of things that I was that I didn't see firsthand. And we'll get into that. I'll explain to you why I didn't see a lot of those things firsthand based on my experience when I went. How many times were you raped over the weekend? This past weekend no, here in I, New Hampshire I, or at no, Woodstock? Just, just at Woodstock. Oh, yeah. at Woodstock? Uh, <laughs> I think it was zero. I'm pretty sure it was still zero. Okay. Uh, now, you know, yeah. um, uh, maybe I'm judging you wrong, but you don't really come off as like a, a guy who um really parties hard, drugs or alcohol or something like that. I'm not saying... Uh, I'm not trying to paint a picture, but were, were, was this something that you went to with the idea you're going to you know, get some beers in you throughout the day, have some cocktails, or are you just there, music only, baby? So yeah, so around so around that time, so when Woodstock 99 was announced, up until then, my friends and I were very heavily into the, the summertime festivals. We went to uh, a bunch of Lollapalooza festivals. Mm. Uh, we had a local rock radio station in the Boston area that did a thing called the River Rave every summer, and it was their version of a Lollapalooza with very popular alternative... Uh, grunge rock bands. So when Woodstock 99 was announced and we saw the bands that were going to be there, we figured, okay, this is going to be amazing. hundred bucks for a ticket, which back then was kind of expensive. Today would be an unbelievable bargain. Um, so we said, let's go. And, you know, m- not myself and my friends, we're not into drugs. Uh, you know, we're into, we're into the music, we're into the bands and we're into like drinking, you know, mostly beers. So we're like, all right, let's do this. Um, and I'll, I'll get this out now, and this is going to kind of paint the picture of my experience and why it was a little bit different from what we saw on the documentary is we rented an RV. Okay? okay. So it was me. So it was me and five guys in a, in a six, but it was an, an RV, um, you know, the drive it yourself RV. So it had a bathroom with a toilet. With a shower, okay. with a ref- with a with a they refrigerator, had a, a hookup where you could get the water and, and power and everything. No hookups, no okay. hookups, and I'm, I'm gonna I'll save that for the end. Okay. So so no hookups, but, but we did we had a comfortable place to sleep every night. If there was emergencies with bathrooms, we had a place to go. So I'll paint the picture right there how already my experience is different from the the vast majority of people who came with backpacks and tents and whatnot. Okay, so what was the that was one thing that wasn't clear watching the documentary, kind of seeing the overhead. I assume everything, the camping and the festival, was all once you were in there. There wasn't like a separate campground that you left and went to the concert. Was it all on site? Everything was all on site. There was a separate area for us with the RVs. So the RV community was kind of like its own kind of separate thing. Okay, but uh, I'll be honest with you. A lot of what went on during the daytime when we weren't seeing the bands was kind of like in a haze because it was like a million degrees. Yeah, there was a there was a billion people around. So during the day, you know, in the morning, the morning where we were was was kind of chill. People kind of obviously recovering from the previous night. Um, And then the day would get started with, you know, pretty much again, this is ninety nine cell phones really aren't a thing. Obviously, no internet. Real, I shouldn't say no internet, but really nothing. You know, there wasn't like a Woodstock app on your iPhone if they had Woodstock right. today. Oh yeah, I mean, so keeping you'd track have to of like people. refer to the, yeah, you'd have to refer to like the paperwork and be like, oh, today Metallica's playing on the West Stage tonight. You know, so you had to kind of plan out your day that way. And how many people were in your, your group again? There was six of us. There was me, 
um, three guys that I was friends with, and then two guys that were friends of friends. Zeus? <laughs> Zeus did not go. Nope, it was not mm. Zeus. No. <laughs> um, and well, well uh, was uh, was was there any like day passes or anybody doing stuff like that where they would just come for one day? Uh, not I'm not saying within your group, just in general. Was that even an option? Like, or did you have to buy in for all three days and you had to lock in and camp? And if you left, you were done. Yeah, that's from what I recall. That was it. It was it was all or nothing. You're in, and that's it. I don't recall any options with day passes or anything like that. No. Now, I assume you could have your own like uh, food and, and, and beverages at your campsite that you couldn't bring into the, the festival grounds. Is that correct? Well, th- again, that's a different experience for us because we had an RV as opposed to the kids that you saw in the documentary that were kind of walking with their backpacks and they were they were checking their bags. So we, we literally drove in with mm-hmm. our RV. But people um, with cars, you couldn't drive a car in if you were tenting? The, I'm going to be honest with you, Baco. Those are the... Those, those are the those are the details that are hazy for me because it was so chaotic trying to trying to navigate the traffic, trying to know where to go and trying to know where to turn and, 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 and follow. It was it was chaos. The logistics <laughs> of it were an absolute were a nightmare, though. That I can vouch for that. The documentary show was the, the logistics were an absolute nightmare. But for us, we they weren't they couldn't check like our RV. I mean, that would have been, that would have taken forever. We, all they did oh, was so make they sure. they just did it because it was inconvenient. From what I recall. Yeah. I mean, okay. they just made sure that we had, they just made sure that we, that we all had tickets that we could get in and where all the RVs were during the day. You saw people with little portable grills, little hibachis, people making cheeseburgers and hot dogs, okay. people selling them to other people. So it was like a, it, it, it was like a different community compared to like, you know, Skid Row, the homeless shelter with people living in their tents over by the tractor trailers. You know what I mean? How far away from like uh, the nearest stage would your RV have been parked? Oh boy, the walking, as as seen in the documentary. So we where we had to walk to, we'd, we'd leave, where our RV was, we would walk probably about fifteen or twenty minutes, and then you kind of get to that area where okay, do you want to go to the west stage or the east stage? Okay. And as the documentary showed, they were really, really far apart. I mean, if I, if I recall correctly, a mile and a half, two miles from 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 stage to stage, maybe. And you got to and you got to remember too. The documentary showed this too. No shade, no shade. Okay, the only and the only grass yeah. was near the the only grass mm-hmm. was near the stage. Remember, this is at an old Air Force base. It's all concrete. It's all pavement. There's no trees. There's no shade. So, and it was literally an average of about a hundred degrees during the day. Okay. So if you, that's why we would check the roster of events and we'd be like, okay, we're going to go to the West stage and we're going to stay there for a while because you couldn't bounce back and forth between stages that frequently Mm. because the walking and the distance between it would take you maybe 45 minutes. If you were lucky to get from point from stage a to stage B and in a hundred degree heat walking, not good. And, 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 and what about like, did you guys at any point split up as a group? We did, and it, it's funny because you know some of the things in that documentary that were kind of really, that kind of got me, you know, emotionally f- with some of the issues that people had was we got really lucky because I'd like to give us credit for being a little bit smarter, uh, starting right off with us getting an RV. Um, That's a good move. So when it came time to split up and make a make a plan, we were pretty good at the plan that we were going to make. Uh, so if if somebody wanted to go see a band or maybe go see a vendor or just walk around and, and people watch, 
we had a plan where it would be like, okay, let's meet right here at this time. Okay. And that's why, and that's why having a watch was probably one of the most essential things that you could have because you'd say, all right, let's meet back here at four o'clock. Um, we never had, we, our group never had any issues of people getting lost. Well, I guess uh, the watch thing too. I mean, this is if anybody had a cell phone, there wasn't many of them because everybody uses their cell phone for a watch now. At least a lot of people do. Um, Correct. But right. I, I was probably still rocking a watch in '99. Oh, well, you, you kind of had to. I mean, you had to at that. At that, you're right. Um, but even if just one or two of us had it, you know, you, you kind of had to. Because I'll tell you right now, some of the experiences that I saw in that documentary where they had that lost and found kind of bulletin board. I mean, that was just pathetic. And, and I mean, and I don't mean that in an insulting way. I mean that in a, I, I, I can't imagine gr those groups being, having to resort to going to a bulletin board in the middle of, you know, half a million. <laughs> How does it even in the, work? In the middle, right. In the middle of half a million people being like, oh, I hope my friend Jimmy is on this bulletin board. And if he's not, I hope, you know what I mean? Just uh. horrible, horrible. Yeah, that was that was an excellent plan. Again, the, the thing couldn't have been planned any better, right? <laughs> it was just oh my god, what an epic, epic disaster! I mean, uh, all the ingredient, all the ingredients were there for it to just be a disaster. Let's get into that a little bit. So, day one, you get there. Um, uh, are, are you fired up? Is everything going good? Did you get in smooth and get to see some music right away? Yeah, we got in there. Um, we got in there fairly, fairly smooth. Again, you know, as the documentary showed, the. Um, the the traffic was just something that you've seen like that you'd see out of a movie. It, it was just totally ridiculous. Okay. Um. So so we 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 eventually got it. But but again, the mood of everybody at that time. We're twenty six years old. Okay. Everybody. It's. I mean, you're young. You're single. It's the summer. You're going to see a ton of bands. The mood just couldn't have been more amped up. Everybody was just totally fired up for it. You know, everybody in a really great mood. Um, so we get in there, we get settled and then it takes you a while to kind of get your bearings down because the, the, the area is so massive <laughs> and, and, tr and, and trying to figure out what to do and where to go and how to get there. You know, it took, it takes you a while to, to figure that out. Um, and, and we did do that, you know, on, on, there was a pre-show on Thursday. Okay. Um, I think that's when Flip played. Uh, yeah, yeah. Flip did play on Thursday. Yep. I'm pulling so it up. Right are here. you I'm there for that? We were not there for Thursday. No, we, we got there Friday. Okay. We got there. We got there. Like we left like at the crack. So where I am, <laughs> I'll, I'll kind of paint the picture. So we were in the Boston area and Rome, New York is, was probably, I mean, again, we're driving an RV in a regular car. We probably could have gotten there in a little, maybe three to three, three, four hours. Okay. Took us a little bit longer. And then with the traffic. So we were there. We got up at the crack on Friday, and we got there uh, in time for some of the shows that were there on Friday. Um, and at that time, we were kind of bouncing around a little bit during the day because there really wasn't anybody that we absolutely positively had to see. Um, there were a couple of, like, bands were, you know, I don't know if you remember the, the band Oleander. They played at the oh, West yeah. Stage. A couple of us wanted to see them. I like that first record kind of, of theirs. Yeah. Yeah, they, they were cool. Um, then would come back and, like, you know, people like G Love and Special Sauce, Jamiroquai, we were fans of, we kind of hanging out and see them. So during the day, it was the day, it was day one, we were full of adrenaline. We were all fired up. We're like, oh yeah, we can go back and forth. Then we're like, fuck, this is like 45 minutes to get from one stage to another. Let's kind of figure out what the hell we want to do. Um, and then we kind of parked ourselves at the East stage on Friday. Um, and you saw that in the documentary. We saw uh, live Cheryl Crow, DMX, 
the offspring who I can't Did you stand. shout the N-word back at him? I <laughs> now I'm, gl- I'm glad you asked me that. That was something I truly do not recall. Okay, uh, I do not recall that. And, and I'll tell you why, and I'll tell you why. Most of the shows, with the exception of The Last Day, and, I, and I'll get into that when we get to The Last Day, okay. we kind of we kind of hung back mm. um, because the further away you were from the stage, the more wide open your area to kind of hang out was. Okay. Um, obviously, obviously, at any concert, the closer you are to the stage, you're packed in like a sardine. So we, because it was so hot, we just kind of hung back, found a place to sit and chill, kind of walk around, listen to the music, because there were really no bands that we like had to see. Um, I'm, I'm going to flat out that, admit, I probably, even though I'd, I'd never heard this song before in my life, especially, yep. you know, if I would, you know, I don't know how late in the day that was, but if I had had a few beers, um, yep. and I've never been flippant with that word, I, 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 I'm not one of those, it's just not my thing. And, oh, yeah. And, and, and I understand the nature of it used when someone like DMX says it versus someone like myself. So I'm not trying yeah. to start an argument. I'm just saying my yeah, idiot yeah. ass probably would have just gotten the moment and shouted it back. Um, and 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 I, I think it's a little unfair how they how they portray that in the documentary because I don't think this is a thoughtful situation. At the same time, I have no idea how a black person would feel about <laughs> sitting in that crowd of almost all white people. But Baco, I'll be completely honest with you. Again, uh, my experience from from the DMX show was I don't remember that. Okay, but seeing it in the documentary, again, there is nothing more. And I, I know we don't want to go into politics, but sometimes talking about Woodstock '99, you can't help but get into some yeah. cultural and so, cultural and social issues here. But you know, n- the media loves nothing more than than talking about race. Okay, when it, especially with the debacle that Woodstock '99 was. So you, you know, you paint that picture of DMX, a, a, a black artist, a, a massive crowd of uh, you know white young guys all chanting the N word, and, and they're like, you know. He's sitting next to his his black friend. I wonder what he thought. Well, really, do you really wonder what he thought? Yeah. He probably thought I'm at a friggin' DMX concert with half a million people here that are all shit faced in hundred degree heat. That's probably I mean, what he thought. It, it really, to me, and again, uh, white guy from a white town in a fucking white ass state, uh, take it for what it is. <laughs> but to me, it's really no different than like seeing that many people get into corn because I think Jonathan Davis has said it perfectly. It's like. You know, a lot of these people aren't corn fans, <laughs> and it's just like, and I'm not a DMX fan, but in that moment, I probably would have just, eh, fucking party. You know, it's really not exactly. This, it's not. It's 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 reactionary. It's it's it embracing the moment more than it is like this. Yes, ah, this is a, you know a thought out thing is all I'm getting at. It's no, you bring up a great point, and and watching that documentary and, and looking back, you know, looking back at the event. I mean, the social psychology of what was going on at this event, like you said, I, I wasn't a DMX fan, but I found myself being like, this is this is friggin' awesome. Like, you know, this is great. I cannot fucking stand the offspring. One of my all-time <laughs> most hated bands ever. But when they come on the stage, I'm like, this is awesome. This is I, great. I'm right there with you, honestly. I saw them a few years. I've never been a fan, right? Just horrible. Don't really click with me. Uh, no. But a lot of people do like him. But I saw him, I don't know, like 2017, 18 at, at a festival. And yep. by the end of their show, it's like, God damn, I forgot how many fucking hits these guys really had. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. It, that's probably why they're so annoying to me. It's like, oh, here's another fucking song that's going to get played to death. <laughs> oh, yep. my God. And how they didn't get sued for ripping off Obla D, Obla Da is beyond me. Ugh, terrible. But, but anyway. I'll tell you what, after them, 
this was we got this was one show that we got really up close for. Not necessarily because we were fans of the band, but because we knew that this was going to be huge because it had gotten dark, and that's when Corn took the stage. Okay. Oh my God! Wow, unbelievable. And I'm and I'm and I'm not I'm not a huge Corn fan. I mean, I like some of their music, but I'm not really into that whole scene. But they, what you saw in that documentary just scratch the surface of what was happening physically with the crowd during the corn show. It was almost terrifying. And we were up so close when they came out and opened up with blind. I believe they opened up with blind. Okay. You could, and you heard some people talking about this in the, on the document, you could feel the crowd. It was, it was literally like being in like an ocean of people when that song kicks in, when that song kicks into gear during that performance, you could feel it. And I remember me and my friends looking at each other, being like, "Holy shit! Like this is really intense." And we've been to a ton of shows. We had already been to a bunch of Lollapaloozas and a bunch of other festivals, but that corn thing. And we were relatively sober. I'll clarify that for the weekend. We were. Yeah, you kind of you kind of ditched that. Was there no hard partiers with you? We weren't. We weren't. And, and there was a couple reasons why. A it was it was 100 degrees every day. B, there was way too much physical activity to, involved to be able to enjoy the show. You like I talked like I talked earlier about walking okay. from stage to stage or happen to be. I mean, again, maybe I'm a bad example of somebody to talk about which stuff. Maybe 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 we're just a little bit too smart. I don't know, but but yeah, we, there wasn't. I mean, there was drinking, but we were there to to really see the show. And I could see how if you were a little bit younger or a little bit more impressionable or shit faced or or on or on some kind of drugs or like, you know, pounding friggin vodka shots or whatever the hell you were doing, how you would just be swallowed up by what was going on at this event. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, how did let's let's uh, stop with corn a little bit, because. OK, um, overall, like uh, I, I went to a bunch of the Oz Fest at this time. I, I went to one Lollapalooza. During yep. the 90s, there was a, yep. another concert uh, that the local radio station did every more Memorial Weekend that I would go to as well. That was a, uh, a two- to three-day festival, depending on what year it was. Uh, mm-hmm. The sound quality of, of live music has really gotten better the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, now, But anytime you're at a festival, especially, where you're at drastically affects the quality of the sound. But... Overall, how would you grade the, the the sound of the thing? I mean, because to me, the, the whole environment just reeks of like this. There's no way this can sound that good all you know throughout. No, no, and it and it and it didn't. I mean, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit later on about the okay the, about the Saturday. The, there were there are there are certain bands that sound good because they're bands that always sound good. But like, I mean, first of all, I've been to a couple hip hop shows before. Rap music live just is just a disaster to begin with. I'm with you. It's just, it's like, that was the encouraging thing about DMX is that like seeing him, I'm like, okay, I actually thought like I would be able to watch this show for whatever reason. Did did it capture it or did it come off like a typical hip hop show when you were there? Well, well, the thing about DMX, so because he is such an energetic and powerful performer with an unbelievable stage presence, by the way, rest in peace, DMX. Yep. He could carry that show. Okay. okay, I've 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 seen um, my all time favorite hip hop band is Tribe Called Quest. Okay, I saw them at a Lollapalooza. They were okay. Okay, I saw Wu Tang Clan open up for Rage Against the Machine. They were absolutely horrible. Um, 
hip hop to me usually doesn't translate live very well, but I think because of the way DMX is as a performer and his voice is so unbelievably powerful and yeah. unique, he he didn't sound that bad. Corn sounded fucking spectacular, but again, that may have been because we were up a little bit closer. Yeah, okay. Um, and by the way, the funny thing about that, Corn didn't even end the night. Bush had to take right. the stage yeah. after Corn, which which the night that. Trying to follow Corn after their performance, I felt bad for Bush, who they sucked to begin with, too. By the way, um, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like Corn. I feel like Corn should have closed out that night. They sounded great. Um, so like you I, again, and I have a very similar like, taste when it comes to some of the '90s bands that made it big. Yeah. Any chance you think Collective yeah. Soul is complete shit too? Um, I'll be honest with you, I like some of this stuff. Okay, Sorry. yeah. No, maybe that's all these bands. I like a couple things by even even the yeah. even the offspring. But uh, yeah, anyway. But getting back to your original question about sound quality, it it depended a on the art. I know this is going to sound like Captain Obvious. It, it depends on the band, and it really did depend on where you were when you were listening to the to the show. Okay. Uh, you know, I think Fred Durst may have hinted at it, and we'll get into Limp Biscuit. I think I think it was during his. His bit, I can't recall, or somebody brought up during the documentary that the way that the sound travels in a in a in a in a, in a, a space that huge, that you know you could have you know the drummer hitting his snare drum on the stage, but the guys <laughs> on the way back hear it like ten yeah. seconds later. You know what I mean? Well, that's just, so uh, that, that's that, just, that, uh, that contributes to the experience too. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh, did, did they have big monitors? I couldn't tell from the. Oh. Oh my god! Oh yeah! Oh, they had the the speaker towers and the speaker monitors. That were oh no, there. no, I oh, meant yeah. like a great. video monitor. So, are they, were you basically? Oh, uh, yeah, I think they. Well, no, no, I, I think I might be wrong there because when I, if I recall correctly, the stage it had the the where the performers would be, and then on the on either side, it just had massive um, like tapestries with the Woodstock '99 yeah. logo. I don't I don't recall video stages, uh, video monitors at all. What, that is one of the things that also lends to me like not really being into this event. I don't want to see that stupid '60s kind of painting behind corn. You know? Oh, so dumb. Yeah. So dumb. Yeah. So but, dumb. But uh, what about? Um, oh shit! I had some. Oh, so there were. Clarify this for me, then. There were okay. only two total stages, correct? There were the, there were two main stages. Then there was this other thing called an emerging artist stage. So if you've ever been to Lollapalooza, they have what yep. I think they used to call. I think they I think Lollapalooza used to call it the side stage or so, or something like that. So they had a secondary stage, which, which it's kind of funny looking at it now, because I didn't realize that third base was on one of the uh, was on one was I'm, I'm like I freaking love third base. What the hell I would have went to go see them, um, but like you know you had. We were talking before we recorded. We started. We were talking about Moby and yeah. his shit. He was on one of the emerging artists staged. Um, so there's more than had, one of those stages, or what's that? There was more than one emerging artist stage, or there just- was an emerging artist stage. Uh, no, no, there was one. There was. You, so okay. you had the West Main stage, the East Main stage, and then an emerging artist stage. And each each day, the roster of bands was different. Okay, so now uh, geographically, I know like let's we got the East stage, West stage. Where is the emerging artist stage then? Okay, so the emerging artist stage, okay, if I recall correctly, um, and the reason why I think I'm right about this is because the final artist on Friday night in the emerging artist stage was Moby. The final artist on the emerging artist stage on Saturday was Fatboy Slim. Hmm. And the reason, the one thing that Moby and Fatboy Slim have is that they're um, like DJs, you know, they play like, yeah. like dance, like beat music. 
That was inside a hangar. Okay, kind of between the two stages. Okay. Okay. So, so during yeah, the so right. so during during the day, it would be a place where you could kind of hang out and see these kind of semi unknown bands. But at night, as they showed in the documentary, it was a massive rave. So same place they did they, they did the all night rave. It was also probably the only place you could go and get shade then, huh? Uh yeah yeah kind of yeah it was yeah it was it was. But during the day, the, the the problem is if you're paying a hundred bucks to go to Woodstock '99, okay, you're not while the sun is out, you're not going to see uh, Sugar Daddy while DMX is on stage. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? I might be, but yeah, you uh, might. Be. <laughs> you might be. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So, uh, well, th- so d- you don't like Bush. Day one wraps up. You wake yep. up the next morning, and that's when you find out that Kiss is now canceled to headline day two. That, of course, had to ruin your day, right? <laughs> I don't even really know if I was into Kiss in 1999. I don't know if I should be saying that, being a co-host of a uh, Kiss yeah. podcast. But, uh, I thought it was yeah. the only reason you went. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's for my co-host, uh, who uh, uh, wasn't able to join us tonight, but uh, he wanted to. Uh, that's his joke, so I uh, uh, okay. I thought it was good. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I can slip that in there. So. <laughs> So Saturday, Saturday we hey, get up. But before we get into Saturday, here's a question. Sure. Something we talked yeah, yeah. about because um, uh, when we were going over it, Elsie and I are like, "What's the biggest crowd we've ever been in?" And mine would have to be like a, a like a football game, probably. And his was uh, the Indy 500, which you know is a few hundred thousand people. But that is a very different setting in the sense of is like, yeah, while I'm in a building with seventy thousand people, I'm really only within about a hundred feet of about two thousand. We're at a festival like, you know, I've been at festivals with about 30,000 people and I've probably been within 100 feet of almost everybody that was there at some point during the day. You know what I mean? Because you're moving around and checking all the stuff out. Yep. So this is this. Uh, this has to be the biggest crowd you've ever been a part of. 350,000. Oh, it's not even close. It's yeah. just overwhelming. Oh, yeah, not even. Cl- I mean, even the Lollapaloozas that I went to, that they they averaged about so twenty, the, right? I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. And again, Lollapalooza was a traveling back then, right? In the 90s. Yeah, so you know, a, a lot of people saw it, but they would wait till it came to their town. C- correct. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. This was this was bonkers. The amount of people, just bonkers. Yep. And uh, how did you enjoy the Peace Wall? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh my God! Those are some of the things that I didn't even know existed until I saw the documentary. I'm like, what was that? Where was I when that was going on? So you didn't get one of the whatever the the remember Columbine candles and light shit on fire. Uh, I'm oh, we're gonna ahead. get you know. Oh, I'm getting ahead get- of it. Let's let's get into day two. You wake up in the morning, find out Kiss ain't gonna be there. Decide to stay for the rest of the weekend. Uh, what what what's going on? So Saturday during the day, again, the weather was beautiful when you'd wake up in the morning because it wasn't quite yet 100 degrees. Now, have you uh, ever drank too much at a festival, slept in a tent, and woke up on a fairly nice day? It's still not that nice. So you guys yeah, no, are in your, your, little, uh, your little you know, mini mansion sleeping oh, yeah, on we, uh, yeah, mattresses. We're, 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 yeah, we're on our rich kid on wheels house there. So, yeah, that's what we had. <laughs> Uh, so, but like I said earlier, so where some of the RVs were parked, it was kind of like a different community, you know, uh, people kind of just hanging out and getting ready for, for the day. Now, as shown in the documentary, we did walk over to what was supposed to be the place where you could go and, you know, brush your teeth, wash your face, like all that kind of stuff. Really? Okay. So when it started, it all looked like it was like semi normal. 
Okay, you're like, oh, this is kind of unique, but but even me and my friends are like, this is this ain't gonna fucking last. Like this <laughs> is this, this is just ripe for disaster. Um, so yeah, we would go over there, would kind of co- try to cool down a little bit. Um, I know uh, one of the big stories for anytime you hear people talk about Woodstock '99 between the fires and all the other horrible stuff, people talk about the price of concessions and the water bottles and stuff. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Um, but we so we would spend kind of that early part of the day, kind of just kind of getting our bearings down again, checking the schedule, see what's going on, try to get something to eat, try to get something to drink and just get ready for the day. And Saturday was fucking fantastic. Um, we spent the entire day at the East stage. Um, we went to see kid rock, which as you saw in the documentary, holy shit, did he put on a show whether you like kid rock or not? Yeah, I, um, I didn't. I, I didn't unfortunately get to get into this. Is one of the one of the things I wanted to talk about when we were talking, but with everything yeah. going, it just never came up. Watching the documentary, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of Kid Rock's music. I, I, his politics kind of irritate me lately, but um, yep. at the same time, uh, it's just not a. It's it just is what it is at a certain point. This documentary yeah. kind of got me back down the rabbit hole of his music. Yep. And, and and I pulled out the you know Devil Without a Cause. Uh, I love that album. Yeah, it's great. Rock and Roll Jesus is, is, and then of course just so many songs in between. And I started watching like some live performances from the past you know twenty years of his. Yep. He um and I and I got the uh I, I got to see him from the photo pit at Northern Invasion I think in two thousand eighteen, and I was really blown away by getting to be that close. Yeah. At how natural he is at just being a you know, Kid Rock, a performer, the the show part of it is just it. It is really smooth, and it, I was just really impressed with him on that level that I wasn't ever able to see in, in, in previous uh, times that I've seen him live. But um, man, yeah, that 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 show uh, that he put on there, pretty amazing, and uh, and and he really hadn't broken yet at that point, correct? Uh, well, this was '99, so I think uh, when the hell when the hell did Devil Without a Cause go? I, was, when, when I thought that, it was '98, but God, I, I still think like he wasn't what he became yet. He was still, I mean, he was popular with Ba with the Ba and all that stuff, but but Cowboy uh, hadn't crossed over and right. right. I, I could be wrong, but that's how I remember it. And then that uh, that um, oh that mellow tune, uh, only God knows why, which really kind of took him to the next level. And then they're yep. they're sh- shoving out that greatest hits record to kind of you know piggyback on his fame but uh anyway mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that's that's the background of kid rock for everybody that tuned in for that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so when he took the stage that was great and it was that that saturday lineup was weird and i'm looking at i have it in front of me here so the the the, the that east stage was was better for what we were into so it, it starts off with the tragically hip i have no idea who they are really um, oh that's i have no idea i i've heard of them canadian band i i don't i couldn't name any of their songs but uh yeah. I, I i know they're I don't know. They're like gods in Canada. Anyway. Oh, okay. All right. So then you had Kid Rock, which was which was he was awesome. His performance was amazing. Then you had Wyclef Jean, which from the Fugees, which okay, I like him, but I, again, hip hop, I really don't want to see it. <clears throat> and then I think they tried to calm people down in the middle of the day with Counting Crows, Dave Matthews Band, and Alanis Morissette, who at the time I liked Counting Crows, kinda. I liked Dave Matthews, kinda. I can't stand him now. Alanis Morissette, eh. Whatever. Yeah. No, so that was uh, that, uh, that one, two, three, though, might be the only time all weekend that you saw three bands in a row that seemed like they belonged on the same bill. Yes, that's a great point. That is a great point. Yes. Uh, yeah. Until you get until you well, get to the, the next, next three are actually probably the next, would yeah, fit exactly. too. Yeah. 
But it was funny because I specifically remember that part of Saturday when, when the Counting Crows, Dave Matthews, and Alanis Moore set. I remember that we, my my group, we that's when we were kind of just doing a lot of roaming during the day. We were kind of walking around, checking out the crowds, checking out the people. And I will tell you, mm. you know, a lot of people are listening to this saying, well, when, when are we going to hear stories about, you know, all the shit that went down? I will tell you that up until this point, I didn't really feel that there was anything percolating just yet. Okay. Okay. Um, which, I know which that obviously means that there was a certain point where you're like, shit's going to go down. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, because at that time, yes, it was Saturday. Yes, it was hot. People were tired and thirsty, et cetera, et cetera. But people still had some energy in, in, in their bodies to kind of continue. So, People more than anything, people were just bitching about the just the the heat and how there was really no place to kind of save yourself from the heat. Okay, so that daytime, that th- those bands, that's when we were kind of just kind of hanging around, checking out the scene. What was people? What were people doing? You know, emerging artists. What's going on over here? Vendors, crowds. Look at this guy. He's walking around naked. Look at this girl. She's got no friggin' shirt on. Which the documentary loved to show all the topless girls. I, I don't. I don't know what kind of message. They were trying to show with that, but we and get. I think it. they were trying to sell that the. Uh, so did the uh, pay-per-view cameramen. They like to get that out there. But speaking of pay-per-view, I'll add this in there too. So, <clears throat> my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife of twenty years, Aww. she she was terrified. She was terrified that I was going to this thing. <laughs> oh, she's and, one of those, huh? <laughs> and she <laughs> and she and her roommate got got the MTV. Well, what's pay-per-view. your What's your wife's name? Bridget. I, I mean, no offense, Bridget. Uh, I, 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 my, my daughter-in-law is very much that way. When uh, my son wanted to go down to the, the a little closer for Slipknot, she was just as like, "Oh my gosh, it's yep. gonna, it's gonna be okay." <laughs> anyway, yeah, carry exactly. on. Yeah. Sorry, but no. So, so she, she was, and again, no cell phones. So she, yeah. she, everything that was going on, there was no way to like check in with the, you know, oh yeah, having a good time. LOL. None of that shit was going on. Hey, can I she, share I, a, a quick anecdote with you? Please do. Like in 1998 or 99, right around this time, I went to an OzFest that was like we would camp on Friday, show on Saturday, leave on Sunday. Yeah. Um, so, but the campground is across the street from the actual concert, and and it's an actual campground that, that you're meant to camp at. So it becomes kind of this little city. And I remember Saturday morning, uh, the Black Crows had just played a free show in downtown Minneapolis the night before. And, oh, I, wow. and I was like, because of the no cell phone thing, and we're all just cut off from society, right? I was like, you know, somebody could have, it could have turned disastrous and 100 people got trampled to death and we wouldn't even know. Right, right. And so as a, a little test, uh, uh, me and the guy that I was talking to was like, hey, let's each tell at least three strange people today before we go to the show that that three people got killed at the Black Crow show last night. Oh, Jesus and, and just to see if we hear it back and we both heard it back. <laughs> it spread like wildfire. People. That's yeah. what happens. Yeah. Yep. Well, nope. You're right. Yeah. I've You're been right. a dick my whole lifetime. Is all I'm trying to get at there. No. Come on. Man. <laughs> no. Everything great. went fine at the Black Rose show. That's great. That's great. No, I believe you. Yeah. I believe you. That's that. That's what happens. But it is weird. My 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 actual point in bringing that up is that like it. I mean, it's hard, especially if you haven't lived through that. I can't imagine what somebody that's 26 now thinks about like an event like this. You don't understand. You are locked in. You don't. There's no way to contact people or loved ones unless it's an emergency. And in that case, things are pretty tragic. So, but the funny thing is, Baco, is that in '99 you didn't know any different. Right. We so, were used so, to it. This is how we lived so, our life. 
Right. So I, there was never a moment where I was like, oh, I wish I could check in with my girlfriend or I wish I could call my mom. Like, because you just said, you you just said goodbye. I'll see you Sunday. Maybe. Right. (laughs) You know know what I mean? I want to go back to be honest with you. (laughs) You know? So, right. Right. Because right now you'd be like, oh my God, send me pictures. Oh my God, send me videos. Oh my God, blah, 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 blah. It's like, can you imagine Woodstock? 2021 all it would be would would oh, be 400,000 people with their iPhones videoing everything that would be it yeah and YouTube would have to shut down cuz so many constant uploads it was you just oh, like break the internet because uh, it'd be it'd be brutal anyway so we move towards Saturday evening and this is when you can the tide starts to turn a little bit okay you got limp biscuit they're fucking they're 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 a a cartoon band there. This mean, is Fred their apex, Durst. though, right? Of oh yeah, yeah. And and when you think if you were to play a game with people and tell us what does give us the first, I say Woodstock and I know what pops in your head. People are going to say Fred Durst, Limp Bizkit is probably going to be one of the top three or four things that they say. And you and, watch and that. I'll, doc- I'll, I'll 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 actually give the documentary credit on this because yep. I in my head. They were the last band. Um, they played break stuff as things were getting burned, and neither were fucking true. Um, and that was just my memory on those things. They were far from the last band. There was a lot of sh- shit left to do. And break stuff just happens to be a convenient song to apply to what happened on day three. But anyway, to your point. Oh, no, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. And that's that's why a lot of people think that Fred Durst led to the downfall of Woodstock 99. That's a really, really lazy uh, a way to do it. Now, when you have a song called Break Stuff and you're about 36 hours into a festival where people are exhausted, <laughs> yeah. drunk, hot, it's 100 degrees. I mean, I'm not going to say that people don't have their own personal responsibility, but what do you think is going to happen? Um and I will say this was the first time where me and my friends were like, oh, shit, because okay. you saw you saw in the documentary people ripping down the pieces of plywood and surfing on the them amongst wall. the crowd with the what? The peace wall. They're tearing which down the peace the, wall, which is the most ironic thing in the world. I know, we're going to get we're going to well, I'll get to the peace wall later because I okay. prominently <laughs> I just want to call wall, it what it is because I like saying peace wall. The peace wall prominently features into our story and i'll tell you it's probably one of the reasons why i'm alive right now we're gonna we'll get to that right on Uh, oh there's a fucking tease yeah if you're thinking of checking out you're not now (laughs) so you saw those 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 speaker towers those monitors people hanging off of them and you you saw the performance of him doing break stuff that song exists strictly to turn people into just animals i mean whether you want to believe it or not that's what that song exists for well give me, I, no, I, give I, me I, I have to, to disagree with you there i think it's 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 to me that like i just like a lot of really aggressive violent music and i'm by so do i i am not a violent person on any level i nope. i i'm a if anything i'm a pussy <laughs> but uh, I just love I, I, I love Slayer. I love the aggressive, the way it just gets my my blood churning. And yep. when that mosh pit gets going, I'm like, I'm going away. You know what I mean? Yep. I, I, I just I think it's like saying video games cause, you know, people to 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 kill people. Totally and, agree. OK. Oh, well, the, the maybe one, I misunderstood your point, but I. I yeah, no, no, I totally agree. And, and, and my point is my point is here is that the exception is. If you are seeing Limp Biscuit at a regular venue, so you saw Limp Biscuit at Lollapalooza with twenty five thousand people, yeah. this wouldn't have happened. 
No. And I want to be careful about how I tell. How well, I, I think the number of people is one of the biggest, biggest mistakes with this. But anyway. In in what way? What do you too, mean? You too, think many. They, too many. Too many. Too uh, many. Yeah. You mean you mean they should have cut it off at like a hundred thousand or something? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm being serious. Is yeah, I would say fifty thousand has to be the, the the max at something like this. Now maybe you can't make you can't do this event if right. if you do that. I understand that, and that's just the price we'll have to pay. I also think three days is too long, and yep. I think the the people who put this thing together take no responsibility for it, and they're yep. a bunch of charlatans. But right, I but I want to but I want to be careful about placing blame because I do agree with your video games analogy here but there are and this is when you start getting into the so the, i'm the not cultural. a fan by the way i mean i don't hate limp biscuit but i never got into it i just like yeah just because i don't like something doesn't mean that they're responsible for this shit i agree okay. but but i'm telling you this if you had limp biscuit play on friday night during the day i think you would have had a vastly different thing i think that it was Agreed. it was it was and again, I'm not trying to – you got to be careful when you talk about stories like this because you start getting into the psychological, the social, the cultural here. But Limp Biscuit was the perfect thing at the perfect time, and I don't mean that in a – No, in yeah, I get, I get what you're saying now. I, I actually agree with, with where you're going with this because you already have all these other things that are leading up to this thing, and now you've got this one song – that yep. probably will be like lighting you know, the fuse. The it's fuse. the, it's the fuse go. that lit, right? And yeah. again, and, and again, we, we want to be careful about. And that doesn't mean the song is wrong or it can't exist or, or people can't right. be responsible. I I I I agree with you without throwing any responsibility on the artist. It's really more the people who booked them and where they put them. Right, and that and that was kind of the point that I that was kind of the point that I was getting. At. Gotcha. So, Sorry, I kept cutting no, you off. So no, 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 not at all, <laughs> not at all, no, no. So, so, th so they 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 finished their performance, and then <laughs> this is just the fun. This is you talk about perfect timing. Let's bring in Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now everybody. That's that a good was there, point, though. There are still two bands and an entire day to go. And Limp Bizkit is done, and nobody, none of this stuff has happened yet. No, nothing, nothing, nothing's happening yet. But again, as I said earlier, you're starting to feel something different okay. now. Okay, you're starting to feel something different. Rage Against the Machine comes on, myself included, and all my friends. I am still to this day a massive Rage fan. I've seen him a ton of times in concert. Okay, F fantastic band. They got the crowd all fired up because they're burning the American flag. And of course, if you are, if you know about Rage Against the Machine, lyrically, they're not there to tell you anything that you really want to hear. Although maybe you do want to hear what they what they say. But anyways, yeah, so they're you are. so right. So they're you know getting the crowd fired up, but in a different way. You know, Limp Bizkit is dumbing it down by telling you to break stuff. <laughs> Limp Bizkit is it, professional wrestling, you know what I mean? But Right, but then you got Rage Against the Machine saying, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. And you right. got 400,000 people chanting that. But the crowd was a little bit more... Um, the, the, the Limp Bizkit show affected the crowd differently than the Rage affected the crowd, if, if that makes any sense. It does, yeah. Um, yeah, so... So Rage did their thing. It was great. I love them. They they were great. They came and went. Then it's nighttime, and then Metallica comes on. And I'll tell you, Metallica, other than Kiss, my all-time favorite band, seen okay. them a ton of times. Their performance was fucking spectacular. I mean, they were great. They were great. They're just now, really fucking good, man. Oh, amazing, amazing. And they 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 did they did such a uh, an awesome. I mean, they're a band 
What's this their, is a band hey, that I was talking what's about. their drummer's first name? Lars. <laughs> you dick. You you want you want you want me to say you want you want me you want me to say Lars? There we go. There's my boy. <laughs> but this is but Metallica is a band that I was referring to earlier when you were asking me about sound quality. Metallica sounded fucking fantastic because it's Metallica. Yeah. Okay. They yeah. sounded great. So they so they finish. Now imagine that you're a twenty something year old kid, exhausted, shit faced, high, whatever you want to say it. You just spent the day, and your night concluded with Limp Bizkit, Rage Against the Machine, Metallica. Okay, now you are going to go over to the rave tent yeah. and see Fat Boy Slim until the sun comes up. Okay, so you're starting to see the picture I'm painting here because then you have Sunday. You still have another day left. Yeah, okay? whole day, baby. And this is when you can feel shit going sideways. Okay. People are really have had it. Um, everything right now is really starting to kind of fall apart. You know, all those structures I talked about earlier yeah. with like the sinks and the places for you to brush your teeth and it, it, everything is kind of getting all fucked up. Um, you're just starting to see a lot of unrest, people in their tents and their campgrounds and just everything is starting to kind of fall apart. A couple of things on uh, there I'd like to hear you, 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 what you saw. Um, the, yeah. There was a lot of talk in the documentary of like you're basically just walking around in a human filth. How accurate is that? That was it as widespread as it made it look, or was it kind of like in a certain area it was true, or was it not true at all? Yeah, that that's actually a really good question because the way that that documentary portrayed it. So you have to understand how absolutely massive and vast right this airbase was. Okay, so anything that went on there didn't take place in a large area. OK, yeah. so that that whole that whole thing with all the shit, like pe people thinking they're dancing in mud and they're really dancing in shit like, yeah, that existed. But that was a very small. OK, it was it wasn't it wasn't like, oh, my God, it's Woodstock shithouse everywhere. It wasn't that. Now, it did seem like the um, the fact that you were basically at, at by day three walking on garbage. That was yes, kind of almost was, everywhere. That was true. Yeah, that was pretty much true. It was hard to not walk amongst bottles and garbage and trash and just that. And 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 that's that's how you that's how you could start to see. And again, I, I keep bringing up the social and psychological aspect of this yeah. because I'm kind of fascinated with that. Whenever I see an event like this, you could just you could see it happening in real time. The the, the complete deterioration of the, of this event and the people attending it. Was there any discussion amongst your group of leaving on on Sunday? Never. No. Wow. Okay. No. Nope. Right. Never. No. No. Because at that time, because at that time, Baco, it was still relatively. I mean, there was there was shit going on, and and you could see that things were turning, but the but it was still like okay, you know, it's day three of a festival. This is to be expected. You know, we 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 got a we got a good show here Sunday. Let's let's do this. You know, we'll we'll, we'll get up Monday morning and, and we'll head home. We can do this. Okay. Okay. Um, so Sunday comes around, and in retrospect, the the West Stage looked looked pretty cool. It had Mike Ness, who was cool. Our Lady Peace, who I thought was pretty good. Rusted Root, terrible. Seven <laughs> Dust, okay. Collective Soul, eh. But at the time, I kind of wish I saw Godsmack followed by Megadeth. I've never seen Megadeth, okay. Oh, really? Yeah. I've never seen. No, no. But I, instead, I, I we, know that that there was a big band, but I was kind of surprised that they were headlining uh, a stage at this thing. So. Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. Yep. Was I the agree. West Stage considered kind of a little like second tier to the East Stage? 
Not at all. Okay. No, no. It, it, it just it just so happened that on Saturday, um, because if you look at if you look, I mean, I guess you could say it because on Saturday, again, you had, like we said, Counting Crows, Dave Matthews, Alanis, Limp, Rage, Metallica. Meanwhile, on the West stage, you had Everclear, Ice Cube, Los Lobos, Mickey Hart, and the Chemical Brothers. The Chemical Brothers headlined the West stage, which if you know anything about the Chemical Brothers, they're just like Fatboy Slim or Moby. They're like yeah. an electronic band, you know? So it is kind of a weird setup, but I think I'd like to think that they did that based on who wants to see what. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, okay. Um, so they did kind of a similar thing on the West stage. So they had kind of like the hard rock and metal on Sunday at the West stage with Godsmack and Megadeth. At the time, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but in 1999, we were fans of Creed. <laughs> I mean, just we were. <laughs> so we went to the – we didn't really see a lot of the, what was going on during the day. The daytime Sunday was kind of a, a way – we kind of were just hanging around, milling about, kind of, again, taking in the crowd and just seeing all the shit that was going downhill. Um, you had Jewel, who's hot, but she was so far away you couldn't really see her. Um, and then you had Creed, who was playing with Robbie Krieger from The Doors. Now, for this show, we were right up close to the stage. Over, I remember this vividly. We were right up close to the stage, uh, to the left of where. So if you're if you're staring at the stage right in front of you, where to the left of it, right up close to the stage. Okay. Okay. So Creed comes stage out with right. Robbie. Cre- yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah. So Creed Creed comes out with Robbie Krieger, which is hilarious because I think the documentary pointed this out too. You think anybody in that fucking crowd knows who the Doors and Robbie Krieger are? Nobody does. Okay. Come on. I mean, I look. I I think they overplayed that. I think they tried. I don't. To- I don't. Okay, well, I'm just, come on, man. I mean, like, you, you couldn't, 26 couldn't have been, like, you know, might have been the median age, but there's plenty of people there that had to know. No, I'm, yeah, no, you might be, you might be right, but I just thought it was funny how Scott Stapp comes up and he's like, Robbie Krieger, the doors, and it's like, dude, you could, you could have said, you could have, you could have said that you had satan walking out on stage and people would have given him a, a well at least he said of the doors because you know i think if it was jim morrison he probably could have just said jim morrison and everybody been correct like, you know i mean correct. of course the guy's been dead for three decades at that point but let's assume he's not for the sake of <laughs> conversation so creed comes out and again uh i'm embarrassed to say but in 1999 i was a fan of their first album mm-hmm. so they came out they sounded great they did their thing but we were there to see the chili peppers because at that time and I still like them, but not like I did back then. I you love actually, Blood Sugar Sex. You wanted to see Flea's dick, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I really did. Yeah, I wanted to see him come out completely buck naked with his bass, which, by the way, when he came out, I remember this vividly, when he came out on stage with his bass, um, I think they opened up with Parallel Universe, if I recall correctly. I can't remember. Okay. He came out, just him, and he was going crazy on his bass, and nobody could hear it. I don't know if it was an amp thing or if it was a monitor thing, but he was going to town on his bass because obviously so he, could he, probably could, hear he it must on have been stage. able to hear it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but nobody – it wasn't transmitting to the crowd, and the, so the crowd's getting all freaking crazy because they can't hear it flee. I um, still think it's fucked up that the for some reason the only footage that is in HD of the live bands there was the footage of, of, of them with Flea's wang flopping around. So. <laughs> Every other one is a kind of standard high-grade VHS – you yeah, know, stuff that you would have got yeah. off the pay-per-view. Yep, yep. So Chili Peppers come out. We're having a blast because we love the Chili Peppers. Like I said, Blood Sugar Sex, sex Magic. Uh, Cal- One of the you know, greatest albums of all time, my God. Oh, yeah, I, and they were great. They, they are awesome live. I mean, Anthony Kiedis, is, they're awesome live. 
So again, we're up near the front and, and referring back to the peace wall. By then, there was no peace wall. It was pretty much gone. Okay. Okay. That there, was there, there, uh, there, a day two thing. Yeah, there were pieces of it remaining, but the structural integrity, shall we say, of the peace wall really no longer existed. And and I'll kind of paint a picture for that for you, okay? Okay. So when you walk into the main area where you can either go left to this one stage or right to the other stage, as as you're walking towards one of the stages, whether it's the east or the west stage, you are, the peace wall is up so that the only way to get to and from is by that main kind of opening funnel, okay? So so when you enter there and you decide to go to the west or the east stage, once you're once you're facing that stage and you're part of that crowd, the only way to get out is to kind of go back the way you came. Do, okay. Do, is that is that making sense? It does. Yeah, I, I get you. Okay. Okay. And the and the reason that's important <clears throat> is because at that time that peace wall that was meant to keep you <laughs> where you were Locked was kind of it was right. It was that was pretty much gone. Okay, <clears throat> and that and that that factors into the the, the big story here that we right. get to now yeah. is as you're looking way back and you saw it in the documentary, um, you start to see small fires. Okay, lit by and, candles that were handed out for the let's remember the victims of Columbine. Candles. I mean, can we be any fucking dumber? <laughs> I mean. Can we be any dumber? I'm uh, telling you, people are gonna people are gonna use this as a learning tool for future festivals. Oh I think they God. did. I, I honestly but, did. I think it helped blueprint things going forward. Well, yeah. I mean, look at Coachella; they do it every year, and there's never been a problem, as far as I'm aware of. Yeah, they're um, and and the the two promoters of Woodstock are still butthurt over that in Bonnaroo, based on their comments in the documentary. It's like yes, yes. Jesus. So you start to see small fires, and at the time, everyone's like, eh, what's going on? That's kind of weird. Okay, that's kind of weird. And then it starts to get a little bit bigger, and then you start to – that's when you – that's when we're like, something's – this is not good. This is this is getting bad. And then as the documentary shows, you have Anthony Kiedis come out, and I can't remember the exact – what he said – but he says something like, oh, it looks like fucking Vietnam out there. It looks like friggin' Beirut or right. whatever. It looks like whatever. And then they go into f- the let me stand next to your fire. They go into fire by Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. And at that time, it was bad. And I will tell you right now, Baco, without any pretense of of hysteria or melodrama, that was the first time that me and my buddies, we were we were scared. Okay. We were scared. Because at that time, the show was still going on. Red Hot Chili Peppers closed Sunday night. They, they were the last band that night, okay? And then and then the show was over. So we looked at each other. and Because then as the documentary shows, there were more fires starting to go. And they were starting to get big Yeah. as, as, the, as the, the video shows. So going back to the peace wall, the thing that kind of I like to think kind of sort of saved us was that if that peace wall was still fully intact we would have had to have walked towards the fires to get out okay oh we would have had to have walked we would have had because all those fires were in the way back kind of like when i said earlier like how we would kind of hang back from the state so all those fires were in the way back okay so because that peace wall was gone we just beelined it out of there okay and 
that is when I thank the God. I thank God that that peace wall was gone and that we had an RV. Okay, because our goal was to watch Chili Peppers, hang out, have a great night, go to sleep, wake up, hit the road first thing in the morning. What All hell mean? breaks loose, literally. Yeah. All hell breaks loose. We beeline it to the RVs, and we literally left. Did we you happen off. to see any of those towers or things come down before you got out of there, or was that? We did. How? We oh, did. Wow. We did. Yeah, it was it was bad, and so we got all of our shit. We got into the RV. We're like, guys, we gotta, we have got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Little did we know, like how how much how much worse it was going to get. So we're in the RV. Um, again, there's like no GPS. It's like I don't even know what time it is right now. Maybe it's eleven o'clock, or I don't even know what time it is. It's late. Yeah. It's late, late night. Uh, so we get in the RV. Um, I'm driving it. And all five guys are in there and everybody's like, every, everybody's looking out all the other windows and everyone's like, holy fuck. And then you start to see uh, cop cars, state troopers, you start to see blue lights coming. So we're like, what the fuck is going? We, we have got to get out. Just keep going. Look for the signs for the New York Thruway or whatever friggin' highway it is. Let's get going. Let's go. So again, no internet. So we, we're, we're putting on the radio and it's about a three, four hour ride home. And at that time, it's everything is happening in real time. So there's nothing yeah. on the news yet. Nothing in the news yet. Um, and everybody else is so amped up, like thrilled and, and happy that we got out of there alive. Um, <laughs> so so I'm driving the RV. And, and the RV, now, now remind you, we're fucking exhausted. It's like midnight and we have like yeah. a four-hour ride ahead of us. Okay. At least you can pull over and just sleep in the, what you're in. <laughs> that is a great, that was a great point. That was a great point. So we're driving and I'm like, and driving this RV on the highway at midnight was like driving a boat. Like no, the thing I, just like, yeah. it just like floated on the highway. So, See, I'm like, were, so were one, you the driver? I, at that time I started behind the wheel. Yes. Right. So, so I said to uh, one of my buddies, I said, I said to Brian, I'm like, Brian, can you, can you just take the wheel just for a little bit so we can take a break? So he takes the wheel. And he's like, I can't fucking drive this thing. It's too big. <laughs> I go, give me the fucking wheel. I'll drive the goddamn thing. So did this thing, uh, let's paint it. It, it, it was a full, uh, it, it wasn't like a minibago. It was a Winnebago. It's something that slept six comfortably. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, it had, like, so it's it, a big it had, boy. It, yeah, oh, yeah. This was a big boy one. The thing was the thing was fantastic. It was great. Okay. So so we're, so we're we're heading we're heading east on the thruway back towards towards Mass. And, uh, and, and we're, and again, we don't, we're like, oh, thank God we got out of there. We don't, we, we have absolutely obviously no idea how bad things yeah. are and how much worse it's going to get. So we start to, we're fiddling with the radio and, and, uh, you start to hear things breaking in the news about, uh, a police presence, uh, an emergency state police. And then as time progresses, the, it start the story really starts to break about what went down and we're like oh what the fuck now mind you my girlfriend who became my wife oh, wow. she's back in in Massachusetts and this is getting coverage in actual time on MTV for sure correct so and there's no way to contact me okay so here comes the one funny story that kind of interjects <laughs> with this with with this disaster. All right. Well, so finally. I told you so I told you earlier how this RV had a full bathroom. It had a sink, toilet and shower. Yeah. Okay. Now if you've ever used an RV, you uh, you know or maybe you don't, but I do. an yeah. RV has a two 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 waste tanks. 
one for drain water for like the sink and the shower and one for when you shit. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're driving and I look at my buddy, my other buddy, Jimmy, and I'm like, dude, we have to turn this RV in. Every the the, the tanks are full of, of wastewater and shit. What the, what do we do here? Cause we weren't prepared to be leaving then. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so again, it's like two o'clock in the morning. And if you've ever been on the thruway, there's, there's rest areas all along the thruway and they're, and they're, and they're big, they're huge rest areas. The truck stops pretty much. So we pull over, we pull into one, we pull all the way around back. And this is, this would literally be illegal if anybody saw us doing it. So again, I don't know. I don't know if anybody out there. I'm sure somebody Statute listening. Statute of limitations has run out. I'm, I'm sure any. Yeah, I hope it has. I'm sure anybody who's listened to this either owns an RV, has rented an RV, or is familiar with the operation of an RV and its waste disposal system. <laughs> so for each tank, there's a separate hose. You hook the hose up, you open it up, and it drains out the hose. Now, when you do this correctly. You drain it into like at an RV place where you can drain all the waste in the water. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're not there. We're at a rest stop on the New York Thruway at a fucking McDonald's. <laughs> so, so me and my buddy Jimmy get out. We open up the thing, hook up the hose to empty out the wastewater, you know, the sink water, whatever. Open up the thing. Boom. There goes all the shit. Where does it go? All over the parking lot of McDonald's. Nice. No drain, no nothing. And meanwhile, <laughs> we're so slap happy, exhausted about what just happened and the fact that it's two o'clock in the morning and the fact that we're draining RV shit all over the parking lot of a rest stop. On the you just turned throughout. it into Woodstock 99, baby. Exactly. We just created our traveling Woodstock 99. So I said, okay, let's hook up the other hose and drain out the water, blah, 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 blah. So we did that. Meanwhile, me and my buddy Jimmy, we get back in the RV. All the other fucking assholes are sound asleep. I'm like, you fucking. So I got to drive again because Jimmy's like, I'm not driving. I don't know how to drive this. Yeah, I'm like, okay. well, I don't know how to fucking drive it either. But because I'm OCD, I'm like, I'll drive. Just, just just, stay awake and keep me company so I don't fall asleep behind the wheel of this thing. Yeah. So we're driving. And again, now the story's really breaking. Okay. It's getting later in the morning and you're really starting to hear the news. And I, I woke up the guys in the back of the RV. I'm like, guys, you got to wake up. You have to hear what is going on there right now and how lucky we are that we left when we did. Fast forward to me getting back, dropping all the guys off, returning the RV. Um, I think everything went fine because I don't really remember paying any kind of security deposit. I don't think the guy cared about the shit that was empty, whatever. I see my wife. And she's like, oh, my God, I've been watching this on MTV. You guys are right. The place is up in flames. What's going on? I heard about people getting raped and assaulted and people were dying. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I, I, we left and it was just fire. She's like, no, 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 no. You have to see what happened after you guys got out of there. And that and, and then the, then the rest is history. And then so that's what I was saying earlier at the beginning of us talking. When I watched the documentary, I learned a lot of stuff that like was just horrifying to me that I did not see and experience myself. Thank God. Was one of those things that, uh, uh, Jewel was booked. Oh wait, we already talked about Jewel. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this because I am curious, like I compared Woodstock 99 to like the iHeartRadio radio festival where it's like this 
kind of mishmash of almost everything, which to me makes it less appealing. Was it more the event or the 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 artist that drew you there? Is an easy way to say that. Honestly, it it was both. You know, like I said earlier, we 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 were really into festivals. Me and my buddies, we we went to the we went to a lot of them. Um, and and for people that don't know, back back in the nineties, tickets were relatively affordable. They were more in line with. You know, normal. Oh man, I got to tell you, this this one in particular, though. I mean, there was a logistical issues, and and financially, though, like one hundred and eighty dollars. It's like, oh, I I can't do that. And then I pl- the t- plus I everything the, I, else. I, I thought the tickets for this were a hundred bucks for the weekend. Uh, the research I did came up with one hundred and eighty as the, the standard fee. So okay, you honestly, you might be right. Again, it was so long ago, I can't even remember. Um, but no, there were, the, we, we wanted to see rage against the machine. We wanted to see Metallica. We wanted to see the chili peppers, but you're right. Three bands over three days. So it was a combination of let's go spend a great weekend with a bunch of friends at a festival, see a bunch of bands that we want to see, maybe see some bands that we're not familiar with. Just have a good time. Yeah. I mean, in retrospect, I, I get like a panic attack thinking of going to something like this now. I would be like, get the fuck out of here. I have no, int- I mean, going to a concert to see one band, which I still do is just that, that's a lot of effort for me. So to think that these, to think that we did this back when we did, um, you know, it, it was a combination of, yeah, the, seeing the festival, enjoying the weekend and seeing some bands that we legitimately did like. It, it is like an age thing though. I mean, I, I totally, yeah, I, I, because it, it, this doesn't cater to the to the fifty year old white dude audience. It's more no. that, that mid twenties. You know what I mean? No. And and that, that's a, that's the great thing about it, though. I mean, I'm I'm glad I've kind of done all that stuff during that period of my life. But I got to tell you, even then, like I, I think three days is too long for a festival. Um, yeah. I, I really i my 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 actual zone is one day. I I love the Lollapaloozas and the Ozfest for that. They were just yep per- know, perfect one day. But um, yeah. I, now, he, now, now, now. Here's something interesting. Speaking of that, because I don't know if I don't know if you're familiar with the Boston Calling Festival. Mm-mm. Okay, so the Boston Calling Festival, um, because of COVID, it was bounced to next year. I think it was bounced again. It's going to be in May of of 2022. It's a three day festival. Okay. It's the 27th, 28th, and 29th, and it's headlined by the Foo Fighters and Rage Against the Machine. Uh, and then it's got bands like Run the Jewels, Black Pumas, Earth Gang, and they're, they're going to keep adding bands. So, and it says these artists will join a bill of over fifty performers, including headliners. Um, now, the three-day general admission ticket three hundred bucks. Hmm. On it, see okay. now, and look at that with inflation. That seems reasonable compared to one one eighty, if you ask me. Uh, yep. We're talking 26 years ago, right? I mean, a four dollar right. bottle of water at a festival right now would seem like a fucking bargain. Oh, absolutely, and absolutely, and that—that's what they were charging back then, which was outrageous back then. That was one of the the, yep. the, the takeaways from this. But uh, yep. well, let's shift to that a little bit. Then you know, it it obviously turned out to be kind of a mess. Uh, who do you? I mean, where do you put a lot of shoulder the blame on? You just you personally, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think one of the first things that I look at, and they and they hinted at this in the documentary. I think the 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 lo, the venue choice uh, was just ridiculously horrible. Um, you're talking about a wide open air base 
no shade, mostly mostly pavement and concrete. Um, You know, I think we talked about this earlier when we were talking about Limp Biscuit. You know, you want to be careful about blaming people, but when you have this confluence of things, you you can't. Human nature is going to do what human nature does, and and when you when you add all these things up, and you know, I do think. The, I do think the culture in, in at the time in America in 1999 it was the end of a generation. It was the end of an era. Um, music at that popular music at that time was was very aggressive. I mean, we talked about Limp Biscuit, Rage Against the Machine, Corn, Godsmack, Megadeth, Metallica. Those were the be- nobody Kid came Rock. there. No, right? Yeah, nobody very came macho there to see- and you know. Right. Right. I mean, nobody really came there to see Counting Crows and Alanis Morissette and Jewel and Everclear. I mean, you know, good bands, popular for their time, but the aggressive metal heavy bands were there. And you, you, like we said, you add all those different things in the heat, the exhaustion, the, the, you know, the people being gouged, the the facilities being just ridiculously incompetent with water and, and shower and the way that they advertise this thing. It, it it just it fell apart, and I honestly think that people you could learn from this on multiple levels about uh, about logistics, event planning, culture. It, it it was really a mess. I think a lot of things changed because of this event. I mean, I uh, I totally agree. Free water is pretty much a standard. At, at any one of these things, there are far more of these events that are m- multiple days where they do have day passes. Um, you're, yep. you're starting to see a lot of these things pop up where, where you know, even Warp Tour, you can leave and come back. Um, yep. Ozfest, uh, the first year that I went was the year this happened. You were in. The next year, you could at the, at the, at the same venue, they allowed you to go back to the campsite and come back, you know? Mm-hmm. And yep. um, things like that. Just, uh, I, I think these kind of. As much as like uh, the promoters of the doc that are in the documentary like to go like, I mean, come on, Fred Durst, you don't play a Limp Biscuit song right now, which is kind of how they come off. To me, the no shit Sherlock stuff is the 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 inability to recognize how things were bubbling after day two. Um, yep, probably the lack of porta potties. I don't know. You tell me. Was it was was the bathroom situation decent? For us, it was because we had our nice. Well, no, no. Oh, but you RV, had to go all the but, way back to your RV. Would it? But 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 like, no. But no. Not all the. No no no. Not all the time. But se- but seriously. So he- here's the thing that happened. So when the when the uh, when the when the porta potties in the bathroom situation started to go downhill, that's when it was a good thing to be a guy, because you would just find some place to kind of yeah, either yeah. find a, a, a you'd find a semi-functional porta potty to just take a leak. <laughs> Um, if any of us had to take a dump, we would seriously wait until we could get back to our RV. Yeah, but, and that's where we would go. Believe it or not, you just answered my question. So, <laughs> so the porta potty situation was kind of a mess then. Uh, yeah, uh, but but again, like you said, I think th- this this looks like this looks like an event where it was planned on paper without any foresight into the logistics about what may or may not happen, what could and what could not happen. These were guys who was like, hey, hey, these bands are popular. Let's throw these bands in from all different genres and we'll do this and this and this and it's going to be great. We'll let half a million people come in or 400,000 people come in and and, and this is going to be great. It does seem weird that they had three female uh, artists, one each a day. That seems sort of planned. That was something... 
<laughs> that was something. That was that was something I was completely. I didn't even connect the dots. On I don't. That. I would. No, I, I wouldn't have either if I was there. You know, I would do if if they didn't connect it for me. I don't think I would have put it there. So I'm getting it. Well, here's the funny thing too. Looking back in 1999, there were a shit ton of, of female bands, alternative bands, grunge yeah, bands that you, you could have uh, uh, had. Seether out there, not Seether. Uh, uh, Veruca Salt. You had Veruca Salt. Hole was still putting out albums. I mean, if you wanted her, I mean. I mean, you had a bunch of like female, female fronted alternative bands. I mean, I understand that the bands that they did choose were huge, were hugely uh, popular with Jules, Cheryl Crow, Alanis Morissette. Yep. I, I get that. And they're, they're good choices. Um, but I think they were just trying to throw everything into a, into a pot, mix it up and hope that people would like it. You know, I mean, for Christ's sake, on one stage, you had James Brown starting the day on the East stage and Bush ending it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, and here's, here's one that we didn't even bring up. The insane clown posse was at Woodstock '99. Yeah. So, what did their fans do when they were told they couldn't bring their fago into the the, the camp site? <laughs> I don't know, but I could tell you right now, the insane clown posse, followed by George Clinton and the P Funk All Stars. I did see George Clinton at a Lollapalooza once. They were great, but yeah, yeah, just a crazy mishmash of too much going on. Yeah, it, it probably just was too big, but I don't know. I've never been a fan of the whole Woodstock brand anyway. The original one seems a little, I don't know, we, we glamorized or we just... we, we Yeah, we, oh, we, it does. You know, and then the second one then in 94, at least it seems like that one went off without a hitch, but... Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I wanted I, I wanted to hint on that a little bit, if if you don't yeah, mind, and because I because I because I, I thought the documentary really brought up an interesting point that I never thought of, and I and I I think it makes perfect sense from a music perspective and from a where we were as a country perspective. Woodstock '94 is remembered for the mud and the fun and the music. Yeah. Okay, the artists that they had. Okay, within five years, 1999. Everything in America, if you were if you if you were of that age, it, things dramatically changed. Really, music dramatic music dramatically changed. The culture in the country dramatically changed. You were a few months removed from Columbine. Um, it was the end of a decade. It, it really was ripe for, you know. Let me be clear again for the tenth time during this. I don't want anybody to misconstrue my words. I'm not saying that there was you know an excuse for anything that happened. But the environment was so different in '99 compared to '94. Yeah, it it, ju it just really was. And then you watch videos and you read stories about Woodstock '94. People had the time of their lives. The mud pits were fun. The bands were great. Uh, and and I, I can't blame them for saying let's do it again in '99 because it was so successful. Yeah, but that's that's the uh, the fourth factor. The cha ching. Um, oh no! No where doubt. No it, doubt. You know, greed just played a big role into this because it, it, there really wasn't like this concern for the 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 attendees or all not that at all stuff. So nope they they could have done this so much different by making sure that people had uh, you know better quality places to to sleep to bathe to eat to to just to just function throughout the day and they just, and they just didn't. Uh, they kind of underestimated what the crowd was going to be like and, and what, what was going to happen. Yeah, th those showers uh, were silly and ridiculous. But I got to tell you this. If I'm going to a festival for, for three days, I'm not planning on bathing. So uh, I, w what's the fucking point? Just bring some pit, pit stick and a jug of water. You know, just And an RV. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, you little pussy, a little posh, little RV. Oh, man. Hell no, yeah. No, you, you fucking Hell did yeah. it right, it's, man. It's, you definitely did it right. It saved our lives, buddy. <laughs> oh, I wanted to ask you, uh, the, 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 on, the, on day three then, um, there had to be people that were already leaving on day three. Just was it a lot? Oh, yeah. Was it not much? Was it noticeable? No, you could you could you could definitely see the difference in the crowd on Sunday. People, yeah, people, people were definitely wrapping it up. Okay. People, people were leaving. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yep, you could see that. All definitely. right. I mean, by the by the time Sunday evening came around, or what was it? Yes, yeah, by the time Sunday evening came around, the place really looked like a demilitarized zone. I mean, it looked like it looked like a war torn <laughs> nation by the time. That by the time the sun went down, it looked like you know it looked like it was it, it was it was in bad shape. And you gotta wonder um, if it wasn't for those freaking boneheads passing out candles, if 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 how the night would have ended, would it have just ended quietly and and with the chili peppers and 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 people just gone their their merry way and woke up money and gone home? No one really knows because. Right. The chili, the Chili Peppers. I mean, yeah, they're a party band, they're a funk band, but they're not really an insightful type of band. Right. They're not, not going to fire they're... you up to like. No, yeah, no, no. Break shit, you know. But exactly, exactly. And it's funny too because I don't even know if the documentary covered this, and I doubt they did because it really wasn't a story to be covered. But while this was all going on, people at the other stage were enjoying Godsmack and Megadeth. That's a great point. You know. So, because all those those because yeah, you're a mile happened. away, you have no idea what the hell's that, going on. That, that's exactly. So, if you were seeing Megadeth, you were having a great time. Man, what but a... but it, but but I'll tell you, it 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 ended it ended quickly, as seen in that documentary when yeah. the police presence showed up and you know kids raiding those trailers full of like frozen pretzels and destroying friggin' ATMs and just <laughs> uh, it, it was it was scary shit to see that. Yeah, I can't imagine that would have it would have definitely you know freak the fuck out of me um oh yeah i i i'll tell you i'll tell you i said this to my wife because i i've only watched it once um and i wanted to watch it with her i i came away it was really it was a bummer watching that that that's how i felt i was i was like fuck man that was a bummer i was at that and man this is this is yeah you know this is the celebration is, is it it's no it was yeah. a it was a bummer watching it I, I mean, whether or not you agree with how it was made and in the in the the viewpoint that they took with some of the editing and the interviews and the way they tried to frame different people for their responsibilities and, and their blaming, um, it, it just watching the whole thing was just a big fucking bummer. Yeah, and but for the most part, you you would say you had a good time. I did, I did. I I mean, I, I mean, it's easy for me to say that now because we we made it out of there. Um, and in retrospect, it's kind of a good story. It's kind of an adventure. Uh, but at the time, it was not good at at all. It was it was it was really fucking scary getting out of there. Um, do you have any like uh, merch or memorabilia from it? Or I just got my T-shirts. I got I got my wife a blue tie dye shirt. She still wears it to this day. Um, I still have my T-shirt, but the thing is all fucking ragged. Um, and of all the weird things that you could have from Woodstock '99. That is known for violence and fires and horrible things. I have a Christmas ornament. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I was hoping you had one of the Columbine candles. That would be uh those have to be worth some money though, right? <laughs> I, I do not have one of those. No. Uh, 
now. Well, Tom, this has been a lot, lot of fun. I really appreciate you adding kind of like a, a second layer of like a color to the the whole event with your kind of firsthand knowledge of being there. Um, thanks for coming on, man. Oh, it was great. No, you know, I mean, I, like I was saying earlier before we started recording, I don't really have a lot of stories, to, you know, a lot of people to tell these stories to uh, because most of the guys, unfortunately, that I went to, I, I don't really I'm not really in touch with that oh. often. Um, you know, I mean, I, my friend Jimmy, I still talk to once in a while and we still do talk about Woodstock 99 when this documentary came out. Uh, we, we were talking still a for big a long time about driving an RV. <laughs> <laughs> But we did talk about this documentary, and yes. and uh, he he had he pretty much has the same feelings that that I do. You know, it was a it was a fun crazy weekend, but thank fucking god we had that RV to get out of there alive. Yeah, but uh, I, no, I I, I I'm glad you had me on. It's uh, it's a big deal. You know, it I'm I'm glad the documentary was made, but I think that you know I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, um, you know, we kind of wrap up the the thing here, but uh, Tom Morello who. I love Rage Against the Machine, and he is um, very, very, very outspoken. His politics differ very dramatically from me. Um, but I, I'd like to kind of end with this comment that he had about okay. this. If you, so the New York Times um, had a comment from Tom Morello um, back in, in 99, and he said – this is what Tom Morello said. Hey, man, leave the kids alone. I've had enough of the frenzied demonization of young people surrounding Woodstock 99. Yes, Woodstock was filled with predators, the degenerate idiots who assaulted those women, the greedy promoters who wrung every cent out of thirsty concert goers, and last but not least, the predator media that turned a blind eye to real violence and scapegoated the quarter of a million music fans at Woodstock 99, the vast majority of whom had the time of their lives. Okay, interesting. well said. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. It is interesting because I'll tell you right now, not everybody had a terrible experience at Woodstock 99. Terrible things happened, but not everybody had a terrible experience. Fair enough. Let's uh, pimp your show a little bit here. Yeah, so me and my buddy from college, uh, my co-host Zeus, uh, we are the Shout It Out Loudcast, and we are an all-kiss podcast. We drop new episodes every Saturday. Uh, and then once a month, we do what we call the album review crew, where we spend an inordinate amount of time picking apart an album that is not <laughs> Kiss related. Uh, we do everything booty. from gr- we do, we do everything from grunge to metal to alternative hair metal, you name it. Um, we do that with the great Sonny Pooney. So if you're listening to Cobras and Fire, you know Sonny Pooney. And yeah. we just started a new other sidecast called the Zeppelin Chronicles with our buddy Jay from the hook rocks and yeah. my buddy Murph. Uh, we talk about Zeppelin that just kicked off with an introductory episode and that's going to be rolling out soon too. So, um, yeah, check us out. And like you Baco and like Jay, we are all part of the wonderful Pantheon podcast family. Absolutely. Yeah. And yep. uh, shout out to Jay and, uh, and your boy Murph, who I got to meet on the last time I was on your show. Yep. So, uh, yeah, it was, I'm just gonna say this. Sup. Um, but yeah, yeah. The Pantheon podcast network, proud members. Uh, so, Hey, uh, once again, thank you so much. I think people are going to dig this man. So, uh, uh, you have yourself a wonderful evening. Say hi to your wife, Bridget, and, um, uh, try not to, uh, dump some shit into a McDonald's parking lot next time you're there. I will not do that. Baco. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This was a great time. Thanks buddy.
Too, buddy. Uh, All right. Go Vikes. <laughs> With the Baker's Plus card, it's easy to get lower than low prices for the win. Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 